This is John Stepling. This is Aesthetic Resistance, podcast number 92. With me from New York, Hiroyuki Hamada. Hello, Hiroyuki. Hi, guys. Uh, in India, Varun Mathur. Hi, Varun. Hello. Hello. In Japan, still, Johan Edibo. Hi, Johan. Hey, guys. And in Canada, uh, Corey Morningstar. Hello, Corey. Hi. Hi, everybody. I'm glad everybody is back. Um, we're at sort of full strength, as it were. Uh, two weeks since the last time we did one of these. And <clears throat> it, it feels as though there's a number of things that have happened or have escalated uh, in in this two weeks, the ensuing two weeks, and I'm I'm you know we're spoiled for choices here, but uh, I I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, starting with a film that was produced in 2007 on on climate change called The Greatest Swindle. What is the exact title? Uh, the Great Global Warming Swindle. And uh, it's available online uh, and from 2007. And I encourage people to watch it. I will provide links uh, when this podcast is, um, is up. And it's interesting because when you watch it, certain things are 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 very difficult to to what's the word I want? not to deny, but I mean certain things about the the current propaganda and the current escalation of fear mongering in light of of this film from two thousand seven, mind you, uh, the 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 juxtaposition, juxtaposition is very jarring and, and very interesting. And uh, Johan sent me a piece today before we started from, I guess, a Swedish paper uh, about uh, climate denialists in quotation marks, in fear quotes, uh, scare quotes. Uh, and this is, this is something I... I'm seeing more and more is we are back. We, it, it reminds me of COVID. It reminds me of the beginnings of the Ukraine story. And now we have, it has migrated to climate. And of course, all of these things are always going on in the background all the time. Mark Crispin Miller just published a piece about colleges in the U.S., that are instituting, I guess they wanted to be ahead of the curve, instituting mask mandates and social distancing and banning uh, large gatherings. And there's no outbreak, there's nothing, there's just uh, just speculation. So uh, uh, all of this is always going on in the background and in some sense it hasn't changed, but the focus seems to now be on climate. That is what is being marketed. And, and because it's so deeply embedded and so deeply ingrained, it is so controversial if you question it. I think, I think 
it warrants um, a, a bit of a discussion here. Corey? Hey, I think I watched that documentary ages ago. Was that the one about global dimming? And if we stopped, um, if we, what was that about? Um, basically how we're protected by the pollution. And then if the pollution stops, we, was it based on, <laughs> was it based on yeah, Africa? Um, there was a lot of Africa in the last, yeah, in the yeah. last 20 minutes. Yeah. I sort of, um, I sort of have recollections of that of that documentary when I when I was um, heavily involved in environmental activism and climate change back in 2000 and I don't know 2005 2006 2007 I remember government and business like no one gave a flying fuck about climate change and actually our government was firing climate scientists I I don't really know where I sit on the whole thing because I feel like I possibly just studied and memorized everything and knew it like the back of my hand, just how people do with COVID, um, things that come from, you know, um, Europe and, and Canada, um, U United States, these, you know, the climates, the reports aren't coming from the global south, they're from China, from anywhere else, they're all Euro-American, like if you look where all the all the stations are where all the scientists are it's predominantly white right european yeah. um but i do know as a gardener that that the you know things are changing i've watched japanese anemone which used to bloom you know late late fall now that's in full bloom in august um i have trees in my own garden that i'm able to grow that 20 years ago, I was not able to grow. I don't know what this means. Um, I don't know whether it's temporary, permanent, like I really don't know. But I, I do know from when the kids, my kids were little, we had scorching hot summers like 20 years ago that this summer is very cool. Um, so I, I feel, you know, we, hot to me is over 35 degrees Celsius, like in the 20s is not very hot to me. It's summer. So that's what we've had a lot. I've Oh my goddamn phone. Um, just ignore my phone. I'm basically I'm just saying I it doesn't really matter to me at this point. The point is mute, whether you, you know, quote unquote believe in climate change or you don't, it doesn't matter because we're doing nothing, nothing to resolve that or any type of environmental um problem that we have. Okay, I'm gonna just mute so I can get that. Um yeah, I I I I think that. Well, I think several things here. Uh, I I would not argue with anyone, even if I don't necessarily accept it. I would not argue with anyone that that the planet is getting warmer overall. I'm not really convinced of that, and and there seems to be a lot of evidence that it's warmer in some places and colder in other places. What what seems clear to me is that there is a kind of ruling class stroke government agenda involved in pushing a very specific explanation for climate change global warming that and and the the fact of global warming is not to be questioned and there is an agenda behind pushing certain kinds of solutions, the CO2, net zero, carbon footprints, all this stuff. 
And that's where it starts, the science starts to feel extraordinarily dodgy to me, but I'm, I'm not a scientist. And again, I think people should watch that, that documentary because this is 2007 and there's some very interesting observations. And there are people talking today about it who are highly skeptical. But, but as with COVID, uh, you have to look at the behavior of the ruling 1%, the global elite, the billionaire class, if they genuinely seem concerned about a, 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 an apocalypse based on you know, runaway temperatures or something, whatever it is that people seem to be afraid of regarding this. And, and that includes things like the attack on, on farms, on eating meat, the attack on food in general. And that becomes a complicated question because everybody here, I think, would agree that uh, industrial farming is a nightmare and and should be stopped but but not that's not what is happening and in the meantime there are emerging markets for synthetic meats and 3d printed meats and i saw ice cream made out of plastic the other day yum yum i can't wait and i think is this what is the justification for this stuff eating crickets eating worms eating bugs because i don't believe in the same way private jets never stop landing during the pandemic i really don't believe that the ruling class are eating mealworms for dinner that's 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 for the underclass that's for the global south that's for the working class that's for everybody who's not a bajillionaire uh, and there was an interesting point made, and I was talking about it on Crest TV yesterday, that, that the North America and Europe, the seat of, as you pointed out, Corey, the seat of all of this, this hysteria and fear-mongering and worry, whatever you want to call it, belief, terror at what people believe is going to happen, that all of this is based in the West. It's white, Western, especially North American. And uh, these are people who, who are part of a system that does not want the developing world to develop, that does not want any benefits for Africa or the Global South in any way. They want to keep the Global South poor. They want Africa uh, <clears throat> to stay in a position of need and desperation, uh, a need for the, the beneficence of the West to provide aid with lots of strings attached. And of course, this is being played out with the Niger uranium discussion event uh, going on at the moment. And, and that's a really becoming a very kind of metaphorical um, or allegorical rather uh, storyline because Niger is desperately poor, Burkina Faso is desperately poor, and uh, Niger provides something like, I don't know what percentage, a very large percentage of the uranium that uh, France uses in its nuclear reactors, and France has more nuclear reactors than any country in the world, I believe. And so 
the the colonial drama is being played out again <clears throat> and somehow that cuts across all of these topics that are interconnected somehow and the 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 media is so complicit in constructing a narrative that is is going to punish people who simply question the storyline that question global warming that question uh, lockdowns or mask wearing or vaccines for COVID, if there weren't really vaccines, all of this. I mean, enormous amounts of evidence came up uh, in the, af after the pandemic ended. Massive amounts of evidence and studies that masks were bad for you. Masks were actually traumatic for children. They made things worse. And yet here we have colleges in the United States instituting mask wearing mandates again. So it's not about health, it's about something else. And I, th I think that <clears throat> if you ask me, do I believe in global warming? I, I don't believe it's because of, of uh, humans uh, activity with emissions or, or the production. I don't believe any of that the planet may be getting warmer. It does that every few thousand years. And this may be one of those years. What I do believe is that there is a crisis of pollution, a massive problem with pollution <clears throat> and, and disposing of it, including disposing of the, the waste from nuclear reactors. But, but any kind of mining uh, is, is going to be problematic. And as long as, and this is my final comment. As long as the system <clears throat> is capitalist, as long as it's based on exploitation and profit, none of this stuff gets solved regardless of what you believe. It, the problem is capitalism. It isn't two degrees on the thermometer. It isn't anything else. It is that there are no solutions. There are no actionable solutions because the system make sure that, that those solutions are buried the minute they appear. Um, <clears throat> Varun and then Johan. I just wanted to read a couple of paragraphs about what has been called the Amazon Summit, which is happening in Brazil. Uh, it's being reported by Bloomberg. The leaders of South America's Amazon nations gathered in Brazil on Tuesday as, uh, as the Brazilian President Lula the Silva pushes for a united strategy to save the world's largest rainforest and pressures the planet's richest countries to help. The Amazon Summit, a series of conferences and closed door meetings is taking place in Belém, the rainforest city slated to host the United Nations COP30 climate change meetings in 2025. Um, on the eve of the summit, a coalition of major financial institutions, including Britain's, uh, sorry, Brazil's National Development Bank and the Inter-American Development Bank pledged to support sustainable growth in the Amazon. The exact amount hasn't been defined, but initial estimates suggest it could be as high as $25 billion. That may also help generate and sort of the sort of private sector financing environmental groups say is necessary to bolster foreign government aid Lula has secured, including hundreds of millions of dollars in pledged contributions from the US, the UK, and other nations to the Amazon Fund, 
a Brazil-led initiative that finances finances forest protection. So I just wanted to read that. It's okay. basically <clears throat> like you were saying about about strings being attached to this idea of, I mean, private in financial institutions trying to protect rainforests. That's that's for me leading to a kind of a tyrannical trajectory where the population doesn't have any access to the forest, only the industry, industrialists have access. <clears throat> yeah, it's a kind of oxymoron, isn't it? Um, like mm. military intelligence. Like. Um, Johan? Yeah, yeah, oxymoronic is the word, I guess, because basically the, the, this, the, the, the growth economy cannot conserve these sort of sort of environments in the long run so it's, it's uh, and especially such an economically important one for further growth in, in, these, in these communities but I, I also thought we might need to bring up the the sense in which climate denialism has become this this the worst conceivable form of heresy in the contemporary discourse there's this example of a prominent uh, liberal uh, author and a commentator in Sweden who had the audacity to, to, to state that temperatures weren't really that bad in, in Italy. And now she's, the, she's been lambasted and, and uh, hung to, to dry in Swedish media in, in a very, very extreme fashion, I must say. I tried to find her contact information, but I, I didn't manage to do so. Is that something we see in in your contexts as well, to an increased? I mean, it is the the sense in which climate denialism is painted out that this person's worst worst form of heresy is that prominent where you stand? Yeah, and and we'll provide in the links the James Ball article, which I think was titled "The Wellness to Fascism um, Pipeline." It's actually not Ball's article. It's a it's a a, um, a writer who is dissecting Ball's pipeline and um, Ball's article about this pipeline, mythical pipeline about mythical fascism. Uh, essentially, the point was if if you question masks, if you question anything to do with state protocols about vaccines and so forth, you are a fascist. And this runs alongside. Um, the, this other thing that we've been seeing a lot, and we've all talked about this um, off, off camera, as it were, when we're not recording, that, that there seems to be a decided increase in, in articles and tweets and stuff appearing on social media and, and various, on various platforms about, <clears throat> we have to worry about the coming wave of communism, this all the Klaus Schwab stuff, the Great Reset, all of these things that we do have concerns about, of course, for lots of years, being called world communism. That actually, I saw Joe Biden called a communist by some prominent blogger the other day. Joe Biden, who fell asleep at his his um, uh, appearance for the victims of the Maui fire, he sat there snoring. Uh, but never mind. Uh, it, it's been a couple of weeks for, for those kinds of stories, I think. And so it feels to me, and this, is, this becomes very difficult to talk about because I, it, 
<clears throat> when you start saying the government is disseminating uh, propaganda by by way of you know covert disinformation, they are setting up fake accounts and they are promoting certain kinds of controlled opposition to suck away the effect of real opposition or or genuine skepticism or uncertainty in people and funnel it into crackpot tinfoil, you know, uh, extremist nonsense. <clears throat> and, and I see more and more of this. And it's, it's hard to talk about because just to talk about it leaves one open to accusations of the same thing from people. If you say the government is, oh, so the government is, we've got Asian provocateurs out there uh, targeting social media and, and blah, 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 blah. And you say, well, yeah, I think they, I think it's pretty safe to say they actually do that rather often. Uh, you are instantly, uh, uh, a lot of people will instantly stop listening to you. And and this is this problem we have talked about before, which is engaging with people in some kind of dialogue, and it's very difficult these days because the platforms, social media, uh, discourage real dialogue and real discourse and discussion. It's a it's a these are platforms that encourage hostility and, and a kind of lynch mob mentality. And we're, and we're seeing that. And the climate denialist is the latest invention, the latest figure uh, for, for hatred. And, and much as, as COVID denialism, one is always denying something, one is denying what the government tells you. And I have had people that I respect say to me, Oh, so you don't believe anything the U.S. government says? And I think <clears throat> pretty much no, <clears throat> pretty much no, I don't. And <clears throat> I think to a lot of people that sounds extreme and tantamount to crazy. And I don't have a solution for that because to explain the history of U.S. government disinformation would take a couple of hours. It's there. It's verified. There's a historical record of this stuff, but it's very hard to. Um, but it's very hard in a in a conversation online to to introduce that stuff. I think, Corey. Mm, I think if people could see this, um, if we could frame it a different way than mainstream media and NGOs and the whole nonprofit industrial complex of media, and if we could frame it as this, as those um, individuals and corporations and governments that have poisoned our bodies and those of our children, poisoned our soil, poisoned our water. Um, I think if we could see that what's here, what they are trying to save is not the climate or biodiversity, but their um, position in the class hierarchy. That's exactly what they're trying to save. And if you can see that, then everything becomes far more clear, right? Like um, I was just looking, I was reading this week, um, uh, I picked up a, a Frank Lloyd Wright book and I was reading about his you know, about how he would use passive energy and everything in his, in his homes, you know, ages and ages and ages ago. And then you look at the homes being built now and they're horrific and they don't apply 
anything sensible. Um, in Ontario, we're about ready to develop a protected area called the Green Belt, which is, um, like I said, protected, and we're about to develop it all under climate emergencies. I mean, it's just absolutely asinine. And um, yeah, I mean, it's just crazy. These people, for example, I put these so photovoltaic solar system on my home. I also did hot water solar a long time ago now about, God, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. And now I'm trying to get rid of it. It's worth nothing. It's a huge failure. And another person that I used to work with um, on the environmental committee for the city, he also installed a system that he's trying to get rid of because it is garbage. And he's in a worse position because he has batteries for his. Oh, and so anyway, while, while I was looking at the Frank um, Lloyd Wright energy uses on his house, I came across on different on the homes that he designed and constructed I built or sorry I um, found an article and it was about the falling water house in the in the mm. United States and they've just installed for to offset the use of that one home they've installed 540 panels in a nature oh, reserve Jesus. for one home yeah. right yeah. so I mean this is this does not make sense. This is not sustainable. This is not environmental. And, you know, a big problem I've had with mine is just that I stopped cutting my trees back to so my solar could make money, you know, pump it into the grid for people to use for stupid, pro, you know, things. And it's the trees that cool my home for free, you know, and I, and then I need no air conditioning. What's the okay. point of creating solar for air conditioning, you know what I'm saying? Like yes, everything's absolutely. so um we're taking common sense right out of the equation, right? And replacing it with new product, new products, new emerging markets, new things to buy, new things to consume. And so it's the opposite direction that we need to go go to. <clears throat> um Johan, let's see if you can hear me this time. So I mean another she related to what Corey is saying here is the the overall inefficiency energy wise of all renewables. Um, I've had conversations with uh, researchers in this field, and my takeaway is that they're too specialized to be able to really address these broader issues of, of the energy economics, the, the energy return on the energy invested issues of renewables, and thus the, the viability in, of them in terms of constructing and running an industrial economy. So, I mean, we don't have to get into the actual numbers here. It's still obvious that any um, amount of energy equal to a, a barrel of oil that you receive from, say, a, a wind or a solar power plant when you factor in the entire supply chain behind every single one of these thousands of parts that need to build them, the intermittency distribution issues and so forth, that the surplus energy you get out of this will be much less than from just pumping and refining oil. And, and this, this must be connected to, to, to the push to introduce renewables into emerging economies in, in the global south, I think. You had a discussion about that on, on Telegram this week, I believe. Right. <clears throat> um, but I think this is, I think this is, this is maybe 
the most neglected topic um, or, or neglected part of this large topic of, of climate and global warming. And, and that is the, the fact that the solutions that North America and the EU and the, the, the wealthy uh, NGOs and financial institutions that seem to run everything, they are not interested in helping the global South. So all of these policies and proposals for net zero, whatever, all of these kind of increasingly absurd scenarios that are being introduced, you know, that cow farts are worse than conducting a war in Donbass. These, you know, we're spending $7 billion a day on defense. Uh, so if it's hard for me to believe that any of the people manufacturing these narratives and this hysteria are also people that are supporting these war efforts and defending the state and the system that perpetuate a class war, that perpetuate the pauperization of the working class and poor, that punish the poor, that criminalize the poor. They are supporting that system at the same time they are wringing their hands about the climate emergency and oh my goodness, icebergs are breaking off the ice shelf in the Arctic and you know, polar bears are starving, all of these things. And the people that would suffer the most from these proposals, from all of this net zero stuff, cutting, killing farms, stopping the production of meat, are the poor people in the global south. Those are the most, that's the disposable population, that is the invisible population and that is the population that really people like King Charles and his pals and Gates and Bezos and all of them, those are the people that they see as part of a population problem. They would like those people simply to die off. I mean, Scientific American had an article the other day I saw where they talked about declining birth rates, massive fall off in fertility, sperm counts, in sperm motility, everything. They said, but this would be good for the planet. If, if, if the population were cut in half, this would actually be good for the planet. The population, that half the population that they imagine disappearing is the population of the global south. It is not people in Connecticut. And uh, what we have is the absolute perpetuation of, of white supremacy, colonialism, and, and the domination of the planet by, by the, the, what is now a teetering empire, imperialist, entity that is the United States. And it's one of the frustrating things, of course, is that to explain this kind of assumes people have some idea that class is actually something that exists in the world. Uh, because 
one is bombarded 24-7 by these transhumanists and the World Economic Forum and all these talking heads and TED Talks and all of these people. And every single one of them, as far as I can determine, is essentially a fascist and part of a status quo that is, is doubling down on global inequality. And we see it even in on the streets of the empire where homelessness is reaching, you know, staggering dimensions. We say this every week or every podcast, but it keeps getting worse and there is no solution. Joe Biden sleeps through his appearance at Maui. What is he doing about homelessness? Nothing. He sent another $2 billion worth of fighter jets to Ukraine, F-16s, which by the way, will never see action because there's not an airport working in Ukraine that can handle F-16s. So it is, as Corey and I were talking before this podcast, it's all theater. And an awful lot of the climate discourse is theater. And these, these emerging markets that are coupled to the new green agenda are a way to distract people from the real crisis of pollution, the real crisis of uh, human misery in the global south and the displacement of people and and forced migration and all the rest of it that we have seen over the last 80 years but is getting worse all the time okay uh, somebody else johan i didn't have my hand up but i mean there's always we can move into the the discussion about about maui and how how it's so strange because there seems to be such such controversy around these fires immediately as the news hit the hit the well airwaves so to speak. So there it's become very contentious already, and many people are arguing like there there are there are a set of, of alternative explanations. And events already being out there, and the, the fact checkers are running wild, debunking many, many strange claims. And I mean, how everyone looks at it, it's sort of taking the temperature of the unwillingness of people to to really believe anything that's being said about much of anything. So it's sort of revealing these these increasingly deep fault lines. In, in the in the community, I think. Yeah, yeah. I but but that's it's interesting. I'll try to find um, a link to an old couple of old Mike Davis articles um, uh, uh, about California. These are twenty five years old uh, about wildfires in California. I remember the the big Laguna fire. He wrote about. He has very interesting explanations uh, for, for why those fires happened and why they happened in the sort of unusual way at the time, unusual way that, that, that they happened. Okay, uh, Hiroyuki? <laughs> Wake up, Hiroyuki. Well, I, you know, like, like you keep saying, you know, it's really hard, hard to talk about uh, the topic of uh, the climate thing, because the 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 manufacturing of the consensus has been pretty much complete 
yeah. in the uh, cultural sphere. Um, I mean, you know, you talk to people individually, uh, privately, you might find, um, you know, a few people who might question something, but at the same time, uh, most of the uh, social institutions are embracing this uh, official narrative. And um, if you go against it or just not to acknowledge it, uh, you know, there's a risk of uh, you being excluded. And, uh, and, and, and also it's really hard to explain uh, where you're coming from because there's so many layers to uh, uh, what we are talking about um, yeah. you know in order to explain that you you're gonna have to explain um, uh, how the uh, economy is uh, dominated by money um, in practical sense um, what you can say and what you can't say and uh, um like you were saying about the uh, <clears throat> um, um, global south, um, all the things uh, the Western countries are trying to implement would uh, deprive the um, um, the forces to develop uh, those global south. Um, the the countries that are uh, you know struggling to provide for basic uh human needs and um it, it's right. it's just um um but you know in the mind of people who are listening to the official narratives but what are you gonna do all the resources are gonna run out there are too many people on the planet um right. Right. you know yes. it, it's like um as soon as you dissent um, you you give a uh, blank check to be excluded you know there's no there's no way you, there's no conversation after that because um, the, the people are totally um, weaponized on this matter and uh, it's a, it's a it's a very difficult thing but at the same time uh, there are people who are talking about it and those people are usually, politicized, they would be playing corporate politics. So, you know, we have this um, um, situation in which the forces of dissent, forces of conversation is funneled into this uh, corporate duopoly. And, uh, yeah. you know, you'll be la uh, labeled <laughs> as uh, Trumper or whatever, you know, um, <laughs> yes, even though he's it. going along with it too you know right well but this is this is very much to the point i think and and the manufacturing of consensus here has been very acute and it 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 is a complicated question it is a political question most people will will take a position they're not scientists they're not political experts they're not particularly literate even they haven't studied the history of American imperialism, most of them, but we can have a discussion about the, the sort of polyester left. I've decided the synthetic left, I'm gonna call them the polyester left now. Um, they have joined with, with the kind the sort of 
virtue signaling white liberal, uninformed white liberal for whatever reasons. That's a whole topic and a whole discussion. But the point being that because of the complexity of this discussion, because you you're not there's no argument to win or lose. You 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 simply are asking questions. I don't know. I'm not a scientist. I don't understand, you know, cosmology. I don't understand the effects of the sun. I listen to scientists. There are a good many of them who who think global warming is, if it exists, is a product of changes, normal cyclical changes in the sun, or an unusual activity in the sun. <clears throat> but it does it has to beggar belief that that cow flatulence plays any part in any of this. That's the thing that, so I always try to try to approach this. My new policy is to say, look, I don't know what I believe. I don't want to be stigmatized and called a crazy person because I, I honestly admit to my ignorance about a good deal of this. But if you tried to imagine a kind, a different kind of society than the one we live in, a society of equality that the people themselves ran, which sounds dangerously like communism, but never mind, in which equality was the goal that people in need were taken care of, the homeless were given shelter, the hungry were given food because there is enormous amounts, tons and tons and tons of food that are that is thrown out every day, wasted. 45% of food in supermarkets, I believe, is wasted, is thrown out, goes bad. Uh, imagine a society where the intentions of people who were elected democratically in some way, their intentions were good. They were compassionate. They wanted everybody to have what they needed. That there would there would not be one or two people making thirteen billion dollars an hour, like Jeff Bezos makes. Uh, that wouldn't exist. And so, if you imagine that society tackling the problem of energy. The, the entire the entire question and landscape changes if you say well i'm i'm against nuclear energy because uranium mining is dangerous there's no way to dispose of it safely we currently dump it on the poorest countries in the world we bribe them and dump it in their country to to render their land um, impossible to farm for the next 10,000 years but never mind if you imagine that instead of that they said, okay, we're going to spend all of that $7 billion a day we spend on useless weaponry, on making nuclear power safe. And we are going to somehow work to find a safe way to dispose of it. All these great minds working together to find a, a something resembling a safe disposal system and had quadruple you know, safety checks, a hundred safety checks in place in case there was an accident. You don't build it on fault lines. You don't build reactors next to the ocean. On and on and on. A rational system 
And we're doing this so that we can electrify those massive chunks of Africa that are without electricity, without running water, without clean water. We're going to try to find a way to distribute all of this equitably and fairly, and everybody is going to contribute to this effort at equality and fairness and, and the betterment of the planet and everybody else. If you try to imagine that kind of world, all of these questions take a very different shape and a very different color. But, but it, it, somebody said famously, people can imagine the end of the world before they can imagine the end of capitalism. And that is the problem. Um, Johan. Maybe this, this connects to what I was about to say. Because I no, I can't. I can't can hear you. Hear you can't hear me? Now I can. No, you can't. So yeah. Hiroyuki said something to the effect that people are weaponized around climate change. And I think that's a very interesting way to put it. Because I think that what you're saying here speaks to the qualitatively different character of the entire propaganda situation in, in this influencer era, where since everyone actively takes part in producing and reproducing information, us as individual members of the mass were weaponized in a much more significant sense as actors than, than could ever be the case you know, with, with radio and TV in one way, mass media. And I think this is the key fact that I've myself been trying to get at with, with this notion of horizontal propaganda in the digital sphere, but it, it's always felt like I was missing something, but maybe the influencer as a weapon might, might be the key to the entire discussion. And somehow that connects with this, this notion of the inability to imagine a world without capitalism. I mean, the, the, the sense in which the fault lines have been drawn, the sense in which it's possible to even to even discuss the the questions pertaining to the climate change narrative it's sort of yeah it, the notion of a weaponized core of influencers ring true here a war of influencers in which we all unwittingly take part <clears throat> yeah yeah that's i think a good point and and it's 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 very hard if we all live in this system and we all increasingly to even exist in this system have to have smartphones, have to use digital technology. I can't bank without my phone now. Uh, I care about my children. They go to school. I have to, you know, deal with the future and you know, handling whatever propaganda they will be exposed to. But, but that's, you know, that's manageable. Parents always do that to some extent. And the real question is that, that one is caught in this. And so the, the, the front edges of change will have to be very small. And, and the, the, the degree of barbarity that exists in the current system in one way is reflected in the hostility to art and culture, which is disappearing. That people don't care about it. Uh, they think art is Barbie. Uh, they, they, uh, they 
don't really understand the role that culture plays in their mind. It's tied up with entertainment, the concept of entertainment, and it's monetized. And a lot of artists in their mind are people that were, you know, dangerous radicals politically. And so that's kind of unsavory and on and on and on. So the, the, the one's own existence is very precarious when when you start talking about having having a dialogue about these changes how does one do it we are so we humanity is so far down this road of of um you know of uh, uh, i don't know the word i'm looking for but but this fear mongering this threat of an extinction event global warming is going to reach intolerable temperatures this year and and the media lied about it i mean that's that's a fact i know people living in places and they said oh, it was 45 degrees in you know idaho today no it wasn't because i know people who live there and and it wasn't it wasn't in a number of cities where i know so so there is a propaganda campaign that's a fact and if people want to deny that there's a propaganda campaign from the government fine but there is uh but but so, so back to energy, what we face this absolute crisis of pollution, of a water crisis for clean drinking water for people. And we face a mental health crisis globally, because I can quote you as we've done before, the statistics for, for clinical depression and self-harm and, and suicide, and they keep going up, not to mention that everybody is medicated with one numbing agent or another. Corey. I just wanted to add, um, talking about um, the expansion of energy within the capitalist system and all this, and then we see the nuclear nuclear renaissance, which you um, spoke to a little bit about nuclear, your opinions on that. I just wanted to add that even though, um, you know, all this profit will go to Breakthrough Energy, Breakthrough Energy Ventures, which is Richard Branson, Bill Gates, Musk, um, all the other, I think about 20, 25 billionaires. Um, in fact, under the capitalist system, it's we, the people that will pay for all this infrastructure, right? So it's interesting, you know, because that, um, the wealth again to, to a very tiny group of people and the whole, the whole sentiment around nuclear is changing because of this ramming down the throat of, of climate, um, the world on fire, climate, climate emergency, even though what you see in political practice is actually opposite of climate emergency, right? What's actually happening in reality. And it's just, um, what else did I want to say about that? Just that we're paying for it all. And then with the nuclear, I mean, Again, changing that whole, get, acquiring, obtaining that social license from the from this, you know, from society, from global society, climate plays as another thing to leverage to get what they want, which is the expansion of nuclear. These new markets that Bill Gates is developing, which he has partnered with, I believe it's over twenty governments in the world on his nuclear, which will advance under the guise of solar and wind. Right, so marketed are all these more benign types of things that people feel um, at ease with. But what's happening? 
actually happening is the expansion of nuclear. And again, the wrong, the wrong, you know, distraction. We're not looking at NATO. We're not looking at war. We're not looking at the massive waste. We're not looking at, you know, all this, all this crap that we produce, you know, that wasted so much wasted energy. But yeah, it's, it's all going to nuclear. We're already starting up in Quebec. They're talking about restarting a closed nuclear plant in Michigan. And again, like people are exhausted mentally, like you said, from the sphere, COVID, climate, what have you, people are exhausted and um, frightened, right? If they believe everything that they hear. And some uh, many people are like that. They're very afraid. And we know that when you combine those things, exhaustion and fear, people are more inclined to accept um, authoritarian rule and fascist measures. Right, right. Um, Hiroyuki. Um, yeah, uh, we should we should not forget to mention uh, what Corey did with the uh, topic uh, manufacturing of uh, Greater Thunberg and uh, uh, the uh, the one that uh, came after the series. Uh, um, basically, what she did was. Um, talking about uh, how uh, untruthful those policies are. The numbers just don't add up, you know? She's not talking about, uh, you know, scientific facts, but she brings people to those policies and explain everything and point out that these are lies. These people who are pushing those ideas are not telling the truth. They, these right. people right. are the ones uh, also uh, promoting uh, things through uh, many, many channels. And um, everything is connected in this network. And uh, it's a beautiful written uh, uh, piece. And... Uh, um, I was going to say something else. As well, <laughs> um, well uh, I, I, I will add that before we started tonight, I said that I wanted to link wrong kind of green again, because I think we have yeah. listeners that, that maybe don't realize uh, what an extraordinary uh, resource that is. It, of course, page and uh, so I will I will link that yeah so uh, you you know what what I um, notice is that you know the the video uh, you talked about at the beginning uh, the, the one from uh, 2007 um, it's it's an old video and uh, and the facts are still in there and those things are not debated so it's same with the uh, uh, Corey's work it's it's there people can read it but the thing is that once you have your mind set with the imperial framework, um, you're not gonna get into those uh, things and find out. And this is a this is a really problematic thing. People yeah. people don't listen to the facts. You know, I mean that that clip is like uh, an hour and a uh, half. Not even uh, that. It, it's not a you know, a monumental, uh, long thing. It, it's, uh, you know, it's a kind of, you know, compact uh, thing filled with facts, filled with right. uh, why it's not making sense, you know? Right. So, right. and it's it's not really uh, ideological either. It's, it's, um, um, it's pretty 
concentrated on the facts, you know? Yeah, it's concentrated no? on, on the science. It's mostly scientists talking about. Right. And I think one of the important parts of that film has to do with that every single scientist that's being interviewed uh, re retells a story where the government, their employer, somebody tried to silence them that they were ostracized for asking questions. And we saw that with doctors during COVID. I noticed now that, that a number of global health organizations are saying, gosh, you know what? Ivermectin really does work pretty well. Okay, you can prescribe it again. But there were doctors who lost their jobs, were stripped of, of being able to, to practice medicine because they prescribed ivermectin, they were stigmatized, made fun of, ridiculed, disappeared essentially from, from public view. And it turns out they were right, but nobody at all will remember any of that. And, and at the same time, uh, I noticed that Johan related this to me a while back that, that Swedish uh, <clears throat> intelligence, I guess, uh, uh, has has labeled the doctor's call that we took that I took part in with with a number of really important people and reputable doctors in Stockholm for two days are, are now being labeled extremists. Yeah. You, you can yeah, so you can you can talk more about that. But but the point being that 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 there is a political agenda here, and and you may agree with it. But but it exists. Um, Varun, and then Johan, because Varun says. Yeah, I mean, just an observation. I think I mean, the campaigns of marketing and propaganda have um, quite deliberately, in the sense that the I mean we know attention spans have shrunk. But this is, I mean, the public is working. I think on a very short term kind of thinking, and therefore long term facts cease to matter, and that means either. People, I mean, in the sense like the dynamic between survival and indulgence is the primary factor that is motivating action and thought and so on and so forth. And on top of that, then you have emotional manipulation of death, right? Like it's always uh, this kind of, is always death, like whether it's war or it's climate or it's COVID or something or the other, right? Like it's always this kind of unseen emotional, very deep-seated manipulation of a very deep-seated fear of letting go of life on the planet. And at the moment, life on the planet is predicated on the Western model of indulgence. So in the right. sense that it all kind of ties up into why COP, the COP meetings and the climate summits and all these heads of state can pander to the public to say, we will save the planet. And that's why it works. That's why it always works. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Johan? Yeah, um, I agree, and you you emphasize how people do not listen to facts, and I think that's inevitably true when we talk of the mass as constituted in mass society. Because your facts, no matter how relevant they are, will be reduced to a position in the black and white discourse. They will be framed in terms of propaganda. So I think the structure is devious. And Whatever you do, no matter how, how refined your arguments are, you will be inserted into the simplistic discourse on either side of 
of the, the contemporarily relevant conflict. So, I mean, let's say you, you sensibly argue that we should maybe censor Russian news media. It's unconstitutional, and, and since we need to know their perspectives and so on, then you're automatically a foil in, in this Disney narrative, and you will be used to mobilize imperialist propaganda. So the net effect of your rational arguments will be reduced to this lowest common denominator, just like how, how the truckers protesting in Canada were reduced to, to like a bunch of Nazi deplorables and how they were yeah. following mass media. Yeah. Um, well, well, I, think, I, I mean, yeah, go I, ahead. Can I just add, yeah, sorry, man. Just, just to add, I think the, the idea of the lowest common denominator actually works really well to control what people think and how they think about whatever they're thinking. And so as long as you can embed a very safe argument for the public to feel safe, they will always go along with it. Right. So, so if it's going to be like, we are going to save the next generation with nuclear suddenly everybody's on that bandwagon. We're going to destroy the Nazis in uh, Russia with the Ukrainian army, everybody's <laughs> following that. You know, so it's it's this kind of, it's also, I mean, I think it's very deeply tied also in the preservation of the current system of capital. Because that, like the access of life, like, I mean, like the examples that you brought up before about Niger and the piece that I read out about the Amazon, all of that is predicated on the fact that I have access to the marketplace so that I can buy and so on and so forth, right? right. So what is what is being sold to me is what I'm completely sold on. I'm sold on it. That's the life. The industrial, modern industrial lifestyle is the only way to live. And so that cycle perpetuates from generation to generation. And it's really difficult to, I think, put a wrench in that gear in the sense that why how would you convince someone like i think cory mentioned this uh way earlier about how do you give this up like how do you convince somebody to say that okay i mean this is something that i'd mentioned a few on a few posts on facebook as well is that um how would you convince a public living in a metropolitan city to say okay the only way to resolve this is actually if we go start helping farmers rebuild the agricultural system according to natural systems how do you do right. that right. you know so that's well i'll tell you something the, the, the problem is the problem is there are a lot of people who would say if you presented it just as you did let's go help the small farms let's work to stop wasting food and distribute it more equitably and start farming in ways that we know are rational and sustainable. They exist, they've existed for thousands. Let's go to thousands, millions of people would, would sign on immediately. I really believe that, which is why the government immediately cracks down on, on um, any kind of alternative farming, it's unsafe, you're violating uh, some kind of community standard, some kind of law, the FDA has to get in here and you have, there's a lot of papers you haven't signed, I'm sorry. And if you keep feeding the poor, I mean, this has happened throughout across America. If you keep providing free food for the homeless, you will go to jail. Uh, people are outraged for 35 seconds until the next advertisement for Barbie comes on or 
some other influencer appears and then they go, they forget that they saw this and were outraged for 30 seconds. People's attention spans and, and the, their, their memory, their capacity to process this is so impaired now. And I think people are so overworked and so tired. They live in such precarity. They worry about their families because of that precarity that, that it's very hard to sustain interest in some kind of radical solutions. I yeah. think if you went to a majority of people across the West and said, look, we have to start farming differently. It's more sustainable. It's better for the climate. It's better for everybody. And we can feed the poor, all those homeless on the streets. Let's build them houses. We can do that very simply and we can feed them. Let's do that. That's how we're going to start in very small ways to make a, a better world. People would sign on and the government would stop you. I guarantee it. They would stop you. They would probably put you in jail because it has happened before. Johan. Oh, am I raising my hand again? Well, <laughs> your hand was yeah. there, and then it then it disappeared. Man. I'm sorry. So there's uh, we we I can just mention from the news that uh, the German foreign minister uh, supports uh, the Ukrainian attack on civilian infrastructure in Moscow, which which is a kind of strong step forward for, for Germany. There's also a report that. Ten European nations have collectively signed some form of declaration in support of Ukrainian sovereignty, and they promise uh, some sort of unconditional support for its territorial integrity within the, the earlier borders, which would mean war, actively. Yeah, yeah. These well, are developments what... today. Yeah. I will. I want to address um, Ukraine in a second, but but be, yeah, because it's germane to everything else here too. Corey. Well, um, speaking of Germany, I just wanted to um, basically. Um, I'm sorry, I'm a bit distracted. I just wanted to basically read something I wrote on climate imperialism back in 2010 about climate policy and um, economics. So. Otmar Eidenhofer, no idea if, I say, if I've said that right, probably not, a German economist who is co-chair of the UN Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change Working Group 3 on Mitigation of Climate Change, stated in an interview on November 14th, 2010, the climate summit in Cancun at the end of the month is not a climate conference, but one of the largest economic conferences since the Second World War. It's a big mistake to discuss climate policy separately from the major themes of globalization. One has to free oneself from the illusion that international climate policy is environmental policy. This has almost nothing to do with environmental policy anymore. That's great, yeah. Um. I the the um <clears throat> are you still there, Corey? That like everything. Oh, okay. I I'm it. here. I'm I'm having no. I'm just having weird technical things happening here. Um, uh, on my end, not on your end. Uh, oh, I see what's happening. Okay. Um, 
I think what what that's beautiful, by the way, and and critically important that point. Uh, the 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 ruling class, BlackRock, Vanguard, Bill Gates, the Gates Foundation, Bezos, all of these people, Microsoft, <clears throat> Google, you know, all the fifty biggest com companies in the world. Uh, Eli Lilly and Johnson and Johnson and on and on. All of them care about only one thing, which is making money, uh, providing profits for their shareholders and primarily themselves. The CEOs for those companies make a shockingly obscene amount of money. So if you went to the this uh, thought experiment, mythic public that we're talking to and saying, come on, kids, let's go help the farmers and, and distribute food and build shelters for the homeless and create things equitably. If you were talking to them, one of the other ways I think people would start to actually mobilize and shake themselves out of their apathy would be if those CEOs gave away their obscene amount of money, their 27 houses they own all over the world. If that happened, if you saw the ruling class were actually genuinely afraid of climate change, global warming, to the degree that they changed the, the way they live, their motivation changed, their priorities changed, it would cascade and then you would have a revolution. Then you would have a global revolution. But those people are, are reptiles. They're not going to do that. They're, they're monsters. You can, anybody who has, you know, what a portfolio of a hundred billion dollars is, is morally bankrupt. I mean, that's, that's an obscenity and that shouldn't exist. And yet, and yet every four years, we're going to see an election in the US, <laughs> perhaps with two candidates in jail, who knows? Um, I live in hope, but the absurdity of this circus that takes place every four years, uh, do, and people get worked up. They really care that, you know, we have to stop Donald Trump because I guess Joe Biden is so much better. Uh, these two geriatric old white millionaires, corrupt criminal millionaires are running for office and it's a circus and it has no meaning and they are not the people who decide policy anyway. How, how does you have, what, what Varun was saying and Hiroyuki both and, and Johan was just now discussing Ukraine, all ties together because we're, we're talking about this deficit in education. People have don't read. They are half of them medicated with antidepressants and, and some form of psychotropic or whatever it is, the newest generation of emotional and, and cognitive numbing that, that Big Pharma provides them and that doctors go along with. And, and the, the, none of this, the, 
they are they, these people are not able to tweeze apart the 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 fact that the electoral process is a farce, is a circus. The ruling class owns everything. The transfer of wealth to the top one percent happened under Obama, was completed under Obama. They own everything now. It's what George Carlin, people should just watch George Carlin, you know. What do they want? They want it all. That was a great routine because that's the truth. They want it all. And they don't care about you. They don't care if you live or die. And it is, we have to underscore again, I think the inherent and acute racism in all of this the pivot to Africa was Obama's pivot to recolonize Africa, to steal the resources, new resources that were needed for things like electric cars and microchips and everything else, that Africa is the richest continent on the planet with the poorest population on the planet. So something is very, very wrong. And yet, People will say, well, but if we just get the Democrats in, you know, if, if um, what's her name, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez could get elected, we would see real, you just want to scream. You just want to tear the flesh from your face and run down the street and, and <laughs> cry. I, I, because it's, it's a monumental task to break through that, that kind of indoctrination. It's very mm -hmm. hard. Um, but I think, I think if I, I'm trying to sound more optimistic, okay, wait a second, I've got to put on my optimistic hat. Um, okay, it can start in small ways on a small level. It's not a question, I think one of the mistakes that is often made is when people will say, well, but you know, you ask, you know, we have to give up our smartphones. I'm not giving up my smartphone for fuck's sake. I would be homeless in two months. I need my smartphone to stay alive. I didn't invent this system. I'm working to overthrow this system. And you have to find ways to do that without making yourself a sacrificial, you know, virgin that's tossed off the cliff. It's not a question of that you and I and the underclass with us must be the ones that make sacrifices. No, it's implementing policies of awakening and expanding awareness that will that will force people to recognize that no, it's Bill Gates who needs to sacrifice. It's Klaus Schwab that needs to sacrifice. It's Justin Trudeau that needs to sacrifice. Uh, it's it's the apparatus, this authoritarian fascist. Uh, what, you know, call it totalitarian if you want, this authoritarian system that is being more and more nakedly exposed every day, but people are more and more asleep. So it hasn't, it doesn't seem to register. Okay. Corey. Okay. I have to comment there. I don't consider myself the sacrificial mobile virgin or anything like that. <laughs> Um, I just love not having one. I, I'm okay without it. I'm still alive. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm living with my mobile. I, the less I have in my life, the less things I can have. I find my mind is more clear, the happier I am. 
Um, the most important thing is my family, my garden. I just, I sort of more and more just despise most technology. And I find the phone a form of enslavement. Interesting enough, I, I'm not sure if I mentioned this last podcast or not in Montreal. My daughter went there a couple of weeks ago. They're very much into the flip phone now. A lot of people are sort of tossing their smartphones and carrying the flip phones. I would be happy to give up my phone if <clears throat> if I could function, but I can't. I, I literally, I can't receive mail in Norway without my phone. I essentially can't bank without my phone. Um, it's a form of identification now. So it's yeah, a, and if it, if it gets, when it gets to that point, you know, I, to access funds and that, yeah, it's very possible. I might have to realize. I hardly, I hardly, I hardly use my phone. I mean, yeah. you, you can talk to my wife. The only calls I get are from her, you know, when I have to pick up the kids or something. Um, I use my computer a lot. That's how I work. And mm. I, but my point was that there has, there has always been this tendency on the left to uh, accept working from this disadvantage or something. Uh, and and I, I'm not accepting that. If we can work toward a society where everybody throws away their phones, we can start making that happen. I'll be the first in line to no, throw I, it away. I, I get, I get where you're coming from. If they let me bank from. without it, I'm happy, but, but I can't. You know. I mean, I get and, where you're coming from because when I, like that was the whole point of my idiotic solar installation, right? I didn't say, oh, I'm going to work and stop, you know, I'm going to dismantle NATO. I'm going to campaign on that until <laughs> I die. And that's how I'm going to help, you know, the the natural world and, and the people within it. I did that thinking it was, you know, sort of up to me to position myself as you know, what others should do. And basically we'll ignore the capitalist system and we'll ignore the war and everything else. And we'll do these other things. And so even though I do try to do everything I can do, that's obviously not going to get us out of this nightmare that we're in. Well, I'll give, I'll give you another example of, <clears throat> of, of this kind of relationship. When there were a lot of protests in the U.S. and in, in California, when I was, this is a while back, 25 years ago, um, <clears throat> about police brutality, about um, police racism, police corruption. The LAPD is notoriously corrupt and brutal and incredibly racist. Somebody described them as an occupying army in black neighborhoods in the United States. We know how many <clears throat> unarmed black men are shot every year and black women rich people don't get gunned down in the street in the United States. Well, a lot of people went out in the streets protesting, but a lot of people didn't. And I talked to other activists and they said, where is so-and-so? Where is so-and-so? They should be here. <clears throat> and I said, you know what? They have records. They have paper, as they say. And, and they, have, they have a criminal sheet. They can't afford to be out here. They can't because, you know, this system will take those people with any excuse and often without an excuse. If you have a record, you are incredibly vulnerable 
And these people just thought, no, that's not worth it. This is just a protest and there's nothing's going to change. And I have to feed my family and I'm not going to do it. And I understood that. They got a lot of criticism. And I said, you can't, you, you know, they, they've been through this system. They know what it does. And, and that the power is profoundly consolidated and concentrated in, 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 this this judicial apparatus that that punishes the poor. Look how many hundred innocent men were freed from death row. That's a miracle. But ponder that fact. So so I'm just saying that that you know this was Adorno's whole thing about and Ernest Block talking about uninformed activism. Mm. One has to be smart ab- about. And I, I have no idea what that means. I don't have any idea what smart means anymore in terms of all of this. Uh, but, but, I, but I understand that, that pointless gestures of uh, symbolic sacrifice do not appeal to me somehow. But, but that said, listen, I, you will not find anybody who hates technology more than I do. It's it's not possible. I, I find my life increasingly taken up with pointless, useless, repetitive activities of filling out, you know, drop boxes and shit that doesn't work half the time. And, and uh, it's a nightmare. And I feel that this is part of the mental illness that, I mean, you can't keep doing this and being so isolated and only not seeing other people's faces, only seeing the computer screen. People are more and more isolated. People are harder and harder to be friends with and talk to because positions are polarized and as Hiroyuki brilliantly said, weaponized. And, and so it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a Sisyphean kind of task now to organize and and protect yourself so you can organize another day as well. It's a it's a conundrum, uh, so to speak. Okay. Um, anybody else here? Please, here are you people. <laughs> um, so uh, you, you know we we can agree that the uh, the the our focus should be uh, all those people, you know, Bill Gates and the uh, rest of the people. Um, but, um, it gets, uh, it gets difficult, um, when, uh, when we realize that people actually believe that those are the communists, you know, right. right. It, it, how, how do you proceed? You know, once you realize that you, your ally, uh, believes that those people who are, try to exploit you and subjugate you are communists. Um, right. I, I mean, I mean, it's, you know, I mean, I mean Marx talked about a lot of things, um, d- d- deep, shallow, uh, so many things. The scope of his analysis is very, very deep to say the least. But um, some of the things are really simple. The you know the the way the capital um, um, uh, colonize our social relations, and it 
construct this structure to put us into the framework. And there's no easy way out. I mean, there's no way out, basically, according to uh, his analysis, uh, unless uh, we're going to change it. And the, the <clears throat> yeah. you know, and the, and the bottom of what he said was we need to change it. Um, so, um, I mean, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's always puzzling that those people who would agree with um, all kinds of things, things about COVID, things about uh, climate, things about war, um, somehow think that those people who are um, the, the ruling class, somehow those are the same as communists, capitalists. Um, you know, all the uh, ideological slants are somehow uh, bunched up together, you know, and you don't have to um, uh, go beyond that. But if you don't go beyond that, you're not going to be able to work out structural well, I, problem, you know? I, I, mean, I have, have yeah, so ahead, much no. to learn about uh, how we are manipulated and how we are put in this structural machine, you know? So it's, uh, you know, that that's something um, uh, we could uh, work on, you know? We, we could have differences. We, I mean, you know, Marxists don't agree with each other. There's so many different <laughs> kinds, you know? And uh, we argue quite often about details, you know, calling each other, you are not Marxist. Um, but but you know um, it, it's it's a constructive thing to go I, you know I, deep and you I know agree. talk about it you know no I agree and I think it's incredibly important that that those on the left Marxists socialists all of us who, who recognize the problems we're we're trying to identify here I think it's critically important that that we stop attacking each other because there's a lot of leftists out there who seem to to spend their waking lives smearing other leftists as not pure enough and and it's it's a it's a it gives me pause i can't say that i understand it entirely but um <clears throat> yeah i i i agree varun well i think i was just gonna say i think it's it's very strange um, I, I mean, it's a brilliant observation that uh, Hiroyuki made about how the establishment functions right now is precisely the fear that has been implanted in the public about communism. Like, that's incredible in the sense that that's because if that those kind of like it's you're living one lie, but you're believing in another life. Right? Like, that's what's yeah. going on with the public in general, with people who think <clears throat> that Communism is going to be the great evil, but like Hiroyuki was saying, like all those things have already—I mean, they're already doing it. So, what exactly are you fighting about when people talk about communism? You well, know, things, I, I have two two quick observations. One is one of the things Johan and I very early—you know—I haven't known Johan that long, and we met, and he wrote me a letter, and we started talking, and recognized a common interest was we we should start. Start a people's university of some kind, and we're we're kind of 
doing that very gradually and slowly. And, you know, I'm accepting pre-enrollment already. So send a letter if you want to be part of the People's University. Um, because I think education is, is, is vitally important. The point I always try to make about communism with people when they start going, oh, it is eight trillion people died under Stalin and Mao, it was 14 trillion people. And they, the people in the future are even dying because of Mao. You know, these crazy things. And you say, well, if communism is so awful, um, why does the United States and Western capital, the captains of industry, why do they fear it so much? Why do they spend all of their discretionary money squashing any burgeoning socialist mm -hmm. movement in the in the global south or anywhere else for you know a hundred years now, over a hundred years, Western capitalists have spent most of their energy attacking and trying to destroy communism. If it's so awful, you would think it would just die out by itself because nobody wants it. But clearly a whole shitload of people want it all over the world and they continue to want it. And you see Maoists in Nepal, in the socialist movement in Nicaragua and Bolivia and on and on. And, and you never get an answer for this. If it's so horrible, just ignore it. it's just going to die you know it's but but it, it's a you know look at how many people love the, the royal family the royal families i never i feel like you know i feel a wave of nausea when i see the british royal family uh and i and i don't understand it you know um, that kind of, again, speaking of this, this, this level of wealth is, I mean, it's just an obscenity. Look at the desperation on the streets of Great Britain, the homelessness, the lack of medical care, the lack of food. And, and the British royal family, you know, trot around in these extraordinarily rich wardrobes and eat incredible meals and you know, the king has a guy who squeezes out an inch of toothpaste on his toothbrush every night. He literally does nothing for himself. Um, it, it's, you know, it, this, is, this is what propaganda is. This is what indoctrination is. That, and, and the fact that the people have stopped reading, people have stopped caring, people have stopped remembering. A lot of people. On the other hand, I want to say again, because I always feel compelled to say this, a lot of people have it. There are protests all over the world and they just are made invisible and forgotten about. And, and they are usually, you know, brutalized and punished by the state. But uh, there, there are millions and millions and millions of people who know there's a very big problem and who hate the ruling class. And that's why you see these, these, these leftist, socialist, organic, anarchist groups emerge um, repeatedly from from areas of misery, of suffering, of um, of poverty. So, okay, last comments, and I'm sorry, Johan, you were so technically impaired tonight. But, oh, you know. Know.
<laughs> okay. Any last thoughts, Corey? Uh, here are you, keep your room, Johan. Well, I can just add that I, I think it's obvious that the important thing here is to focus on the basic structure of society and of the fundamental principles of how it operates because the problems we're all trying to address, irrespectively of, of our flavor of leftism, they're inherent to the nature of capitalist industrial society. And the state of the world today makes all these doctrinal hair-splitting issues between leftists entirely absurd. I think we, we cannot afford to even have those discussions to an extent. Well, yeah, I mean, um, going I, forward uh, from that, man, like, I think it would just be, like, if you, if I had to simplify it to the most basic thing, it would be how to, to how to relearn how to care about other people, yeah. like, really deeply care about other people and your habitat, because that, I think, those two aspects have now been outsourced to the establishment entirely by the individual. Yeah. Right. right. So. Yeah. Um, that's good. Anybody else? Uh, okay. Um, <laughs> well, all right then. Uh, we will provide a lot of links uh, to a lot of the stuff we talked about, and and uh, you know, it's it's. I I the the climate thing is certainly been weaponized and it's very hard it's very hard to question it without being called names and ridiculed and attacked um i because i don't know i'm not a scientist i don't i i don't even begin to grasp the relationship of the earth to the sun to the cosmos i don't but i don't believe what the government is telling me that much I know because it simply doesn't it simply makes no sense on the most profound deepest level it doesn't register as truthful. Corey? Mm -hmm. Sorry I was muted I just wanted to speak to something before we end the podcast today um it just came to mind when we we're talking about the when Varun was mentioning um in her Yuki the communist thing Oh, so last year, last September, there was a White House press conference and um, the framing's crazy. So migrants from the White House spokesperson was speaking to um, people that are thinking of coming to the U.S. border. Basically, this press conference is directed to them that it is inhumane and unacceptable to people who are fleeing political persecution and communism. And that is something you'll he continue to hear President Biden condemn, right? And then it just wow. goes on, um, <laughs> like uh, um, basically Ukraine, whether it's Ukraine, Cuba, Venezuela, or Nicaragua, all um, obviously targeted <laughs> states. Um, yeah. you know, to destabilize yeah. it's yeah. all communist. So based on that alone, people should want to know what communism is, right? And they should yeah. want to yeah. learn about it, um, study it, look at the great revolutionaries 
of history and, you know, present, um, like there's just so much, so much history and so much study and people should yeah. take it up just on the fact that President Biden is saying that these people are leaving because of that and not because of war, not because of sanctions. I mean, they're not even leaving. They're saying if they're thinking of leaving. So anyway, it's just really. That's great. And that's, oh, yeah, no, no. Beautiful. Not just that, I think. I think also understand what capitalism is, like properly. Exactly. Understand how yeah. it works. Like, you know, I mean. Who it, who it yeah. serves. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's what Marx mostly talks about, right? Yeah. yeah. What capitalism is. <laughs> yeah. All right. I'm going to provide some links um, um, on those two topics. Last time I, I, I linked a, a speech of Fidel's, a very a somewhat late speech in his life. Uh, but I'm going to provide a few more links too, because I think that's that's very important. And and um, I always say, you know, you can start with Michael Parenti. You know, he has a lot of videos. That's not too complex or demanding. You listen to his videos. He, he's you know he's brilliantly communicative about this stuff. Yeah. Um, but but I'll provide some more as well. All right, guys. Uh, Thank you, uh, uh, Johan. I'm sure it's very, very late where you are. Varun, Hiroyuki, Corey, in LA, Jack Littman. Um, and we'll talk to you all next time. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Boy, you shouldn't do that. Mr. Dilly, don't say that. Move, I say you shouldn't.